Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Coastal. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Town in Syria was no stranger to strife and chaos, but the unexplained disappearances that had gripped it lately were beyond anything we could have imagined. We were a Navy SEAL team sent on a mission to investigate and if possible, put an end to the sinister occurrences that had plagued the town. Our orders were simple yet cryptic. Gather information, find the source of the disappearances, and neutralize the threat. We had faced countless dangers in our line of work, but nothing could have prepared us for what awaited us beneath the waters of that forsaken place. As we approached the town under the cover of darkness, our senses were on high alert. The air was thick with tension, and the moon cast an eerie glow over the deserted streets. The locals were wary, their eyes filled with fear and distrust, but they offered no answers to our questions. Our investigation led us to a series of unusual events that all pointed to one place. An underwater cave system near the coastal cliffs. The townsfolk whispered of a malevolent force that dwelled in the depths, but they spoke in hushed tones, too afraid to reveal the truth. We suited up in our diving gear, 
each of us carrying an array of specialized equipment and ventured into the unknown. The entrance to the cave was hidden beneath the surface of the inky black waters, and as we descended into its depths, an unsettling feeling of dread settled over us. The cavernous interior of the cave was shrouded in darkness, illuminated only by the beams of our waterproof flashlights. The walls were slick with moisture, and the sound of our breathing echoed eerily through the tunnels. We pressed on, following a labyrinthine network of passages that seemed to stretch endlessly into the abyss. It wasn't long before we encountered something that defied all logic. The creature, if you could even call it that, was a monstrous entity that lurked in the shadows. It stood over six feet tall, its body covered with black fur that looked wet and matted as if it had just emerged from the sea. The most unsettling aspect was its lack of forelegs. Instead, it possessed a pair of massive hind legs that seemed incredibly powerful. As we cautiously approached, the creature turned to face us, and its two piercing red eyes bore into our souls. It was as though it could see into the darkest corners of our minds, and the malevolence that emanated from it was palpable. Before we could react, the creature lunged at us with incredible speed and ferocity. Chaos erupted as we opened fire, our bullets finding their mark, but the beast refused to go down without a fight. In the midst of the battle, we lost one of our own, a comrade who had fought alongside us through countless missions. In the end, it was a hail of bullets that brought the creature down. Its lifeless body lay before us, a grotesque and enigmatic enigma. We called our team leader to arrange for the extraction of the creature's carcass, hoping it might provide answers to the unending mysteries of this place. But when the extraction team arrived, they weren't government agents as we had expected. Instead, they belonged to an unknown agency, shrouded in secrecy. They took the creature's carcass without a word, leaving us with more questions than answers. We demanded an explanation, but the operatives remained silent. With a wave of their hands, they signaled for us to depart. As we boarded the waiting chopper, we couldn't shake the feeling that we had just stumbled upon something beyond our comprehension, something that lay hidden in the shadows of the world. The chopper lifted off, leaving the coastal town behind, and we were left with a lingering sense of confusion and unease. The creature we had encountered defied all logic, and the agency that had taken it away seemed equally enigmatic. Our mission had ended, but the mysteries of that coastal town and the secrets of the deep continued to haunt us. We were Navy SEALs trained to face the worst of the worst, but this was a battle unlike any we had ever fought and the questions that lingered would remain unanswered, locked away in the depths of the unknown. One particular incident from my life has remained etched in my memory, its peculiarities haunting me to this day. It happened during a hiking expedition through a vast and secluded timber plantation. Accompanied by a guide and a few friends, we ventured deep into the wilderness, far from any signs of civilization. We had been trekking for several hours, planning to take a well-deserved break when something caught our attention in the distance. It was an old car, parked approximately 100 yards ahead of us. Given the remote location, my initial assumption was that the car had been abandoned, so I paid little heed to it. 
However, as we approached, the details became clearer. Inside the vehicle, I spotted a weathered man around 60 years old occupying the driver's seat. Beside him sat a young boy, his face etched with fear. Both of them fixed their gaze upon us, their eyes filled with intensity. My instinctive urge was to approach them and inquire if they needed any assistance. However, before I could act upon it, our guide silently altered our course, veering away from the scene and hastening our pace. Strangely enough, none of us mentioned the incident afterward. It's as if a silent agreement had been forged to keep it buried within our collective memories. Nevertheless, the enigma persists, and the mere thought of why that man and the boy were in the heart of the woods, with the car turned off and windows sealed, watching us so intently, sends chills down my spine. This happened four years ago around New Year's at my house. I live in a pretty wooded area of Maryland. I actually have a nice trail in my backyard that leads to a stream. I go down here a lot with friends, my dog, and even just by myself. I've never encountered another person along this stream any time I've been there. Because of this, I've always felt pretty at ease there but still a bit cautious knowing my whole neighborhood could just as easily walk down their backyards and get to this stream or people from the neighborhood against ours. On this day, we had some cousins over, I believe, to watch a Ravens game and just get together for the holidays. It was unusually warm for late December, probably around 50s, 60s. We all moved outside to supervise my little cousins throwing a football around. My mom suggested that I take my younger cousins down the trail to the stream to burn off some energy. Honestly, I didn't want to because I was so bloated from food, but I did. I herded four pubescent boys down the trail to the stream, and they kinda ran off ahead of me to climb on things and do whatever. I just hung behind to watch over them and make sure nobody did anything especially stupid while playing on my phone. I kind of got this weird feeling while I was down there and felt not at ease, almost like a premonition. I turned around to look behind me and scanned the woods, the first scan. Everything was fine. Then I saw it. There was a dark figure in the distance. That looked male, but I'm not entirely sure because of the distance. Who was half behind a tree, almost as if he was hiding and peeking out at me. When I spotted him, rather than go back behind the tree, he stepped out and just stood beside the tree while I stared back. I had a really bad feeling and got the largest chill and immediately yelled for the boys to come back. They didn't listen to me at first, but I told them to get their asses back and didn't say why. Just started hauling ass up the trail and made it back safely to my house, where I told everyone about the encounter. I'm sure nothing bad would have happened if we had stayed down there, but I really didn't want to find out. The Martin family had downsized their lives. A workplace injury had devastated Eric, and Shelley had left her job to take care of her husband. As a result, they were looking for a less expensive place to live. Shelley had found a beautiful older farm in Palmyra that was just what they needed. It was surrounded by dense woods. Eric's family had always been hunters, and his fairly extensive collection of guns was a bone of contention with Shelley. 
With the help of Eric's son, Sin, Eric built a strong box to hold the guns under lock and key in the barn. Eric and Shelley had a routine of evening coffee on the sheltered porch, provided it wasn't too cold out. One night, they noticed strange pulsat and lights down past the tree line. At first, Sin thought it was just a poacher with a flashlight, but something didn't seem right. Shelley thought it was unnatural. Eric and Sin headed out into the field to investigate. As they approached the woods, the lights went out. It was so quiet, the snap of a tree branch underfoot echoed. Eric sent Sin around with his flashlight off, hoping to catch any potential poacher unaware. Eric felt something far beyond any fear he'd ever felt hunting. All Eric and Sin found was each other, not even a track on the ground to give them a hint of what they'd seen. Chelsea's boyfriend, Nathan, came for a visit, and they decided to go for a walk in the woods with the dogs. The dogs ran out ahead of them, catching a scent. When Chelsea and Nathan caught up, the dogs were rooting around by a large hole in the ground. Nathan thought the overly round hole had been dug with care. Chelsea had a bad feeling about the whole thing and urged him to leave. Finally, he agreed. What had the dogs found? It was Memorial Day weekend, and Shelley was making the evening coffee. The dogs didn't want to go outside to their pen. Something wasn't right. Eric noticed that it was particularly quiet on that misty evening. When Eric heard an odd sound in the distance, he knew there was some sort of danger out there. Eric began to usher Shelley into the house. She protested, but when she heard some rustling in the distance, a compa, nigh by five sets of eyes looking back at them, she realized the danger. They rushed into the house and locked the door. Eric knew it wasn't a bear, but it was huge and dangerous. The guns were in the barn, and Eric wasn't sure his family was safe in the house. Eric wanted to get the guns, but Shelley told him to stay. She went up to Chelsea's room and woke her daughter. Chelsea was half awake when she looked out the window, but laid back down and went back to sleep. All five of the creatures were still there. One stood on its hind legs and looked right at Shelley. Eric felt an instinct to protect his family. With the creatures in the disc tents, he thought that he might be able to get the family car backed up close enough to get them out. Even with his disability, Eric went outside. Shelley went through the house, closing the windows. She finally found the two hunting dogs hiding in a shadowed corner. If the dogs were scared, Shelley was concerned. When Eric reached the porch, he realized that he might have the distance to get there. It was going to be the longest twenty feet of his life. He started to slowly walk toward the car. When he finally reached it, grabbing the keys and trying to unlock the door, the Motayan sensor lights popped on. Eric was frightened and very vulnerable, blue. Suddenly he was face to face with one of the creatures. It tried to reach into the light, but something stopped it. It bolted off into the darkness. Eric made for the house as quickly as he could. They decided to call the police, hoping for someone else to drive in while they remained sheltered. The police didn't take them seriously, telling Shell, Lay to close the windows and lock the doors. Nobody was coming. They were on their own. Shelley heard them approach. They were on the other side of the outside wall, and if they wanted in, they were going to get in. Her family was being held hostage in their own house by these creatures. They weren't able to get the guns. There weren't any police coming. What were they going to do? Grabbing every sharp implement they could find, Shelley went and woke Chelsea. They needed all hands awake and alert. 
They all went into the master bedroom and laid on top of the bed, armed waiting on daylight to come. When they heard the creatures outside, they were petrified. The only thing between the Martins and the creatures was the bedroom window. When morning came, they could finally breathe a sigh of relief. The creech tours were gone. Eric called Sean, who came over and helped look for tracks. The tracks they did find were huge, with enormous claws. They showed a creature who could walk on two feet. These creatures had been hunting, stalking, where they were wolves. To this day, nobody knows. When I was 11 years old, I went camping with my dad and my stepmom in a small town in West Virginia called Barnum. The park we went camping in was called the Barnum Whitewater area. Anyways, there wasn't a place to shower, and the bathrooms were just a hole in the ground, and there aren't words to describe how vile they were. Our cabin was nice and cozy, and was maybe 20 feet away from the river. One night, we decided to leave the campground to grab some food, because we'd almost no food. So we went to get some food. It was really good lol. But anyways, we went back to the campground around 9.30-10, and decided to drive around. Well, about one quarter of the way around, there's as a girl randomly standing on the side of the road with what looked like a torch. We pulled up to ask her if she was okay, and she froze. We thought she was drunk and drove off. As we came back around, about seven or eight down buggies come around the corner, and you're not allowed to have those in that campground. We were like whatever and went to the cabin. We saw that the screen to the window was pried open like someone tried to break into our cabin. We were debating on leaving and going back to where we live, New Jersey. When a guy comes up to us with that same girl we saw in the woods, he asked if we knew her because she was scaring him and his two kids. We said no, and he walked off and the girl followed. We decided to get the hell out of there, and while we were packing inside, she comes up the driveway and sits down on the porch. And we tell her to get the hell off of the porch, and she starts crying and runs away. The final time we saw her, she came up the driveway and started calling my stepmom, her mom, and my dad. Her dad, and we had not a damn clue who the hell this girl was. I can't really remember much about her, but I know she was blonde and she was pretty tall. And finally, we left. Now we called the police, but they said they couldn't help us for two reasons. One, we had already left, and two, the cops are not active after midnight. What if someone's being attacked or threatened with a gun and is about to die or something? We were in shock. So we went back and drove the freaking four hours back to New Jersey where we live and we didn't get home until like 4 a.m. When I was a child, my mother used to regale me with stories of her own mother who served as a ranger. She spoke of the deep love her mother had for the job, and it ignited a flame within me to follow in her footsteps. But as life would have it, my grandparents passed away, leaving me with the responsibility to watch over the park. Every day as I carry out my duties, memories of my mother's devotion to the park fill my mind. She excelled at her job, pouring her heart and soul into its preservation. However, she often mentioned the strange occurrences she would hear in the trees, as if they held a secret language only the woods could decipher. 
Somehow, she considered it normal. As I grew older, I took up the mantle of ranger, ensuring the park remained safe and protected. I always carry a special soda with me, finding solace in the familiarity and comfort it brings. My friends warned me against pursuing this job, recounting tales of resignations and a code of silence surrounding the things they witnessed. But despite their warnings, I felt drawn to this role. In 2019, I received a call to work the night shift during Christmas. My husband pleaded with me not to go, reminding me of our plans to celebrate together. But duty called, and I couldn't abandon my post. After all, how could we go out for a meal if I didn't work to put food on the table? I reassured him we would celebrate when I returned. On my way to the job, doubts began to creep into my mind. What if I encountered something dangerous? What if I got bitten and there was no one around to save me? At least I had my watch. A gift from the job to communicate with others. It offered a sense of security knowing that help was just a call away. Arriving at work, I was greeted by my best friend, who, unbeknownst to me, was also on the same shift. She had been working double shifts, and exhaustion lined her face. She spoke of the strange noises she had heard near a nearby pond. All I wanted was to be home with my husband, but duty compelled me to carry on. As my friend clocked in for a break, I began my shift. Suddenly, I realized that I had misplaced my watch. Panic gripped me momentarily, but I remembered my friend's advice to stay posted. I decided to retrieve my soda from my vehicle instead. As I reached for my drink, a sinking feeling washed over me. I couldn't find it. I brushed it off, telling myself that this stage of the night would pass, and it would get better. Little did I know, the events about to unfold would shatter that illusion. The night grew darker, and the park came alive with the sounds of an ongoing event. We patrolled diligently, ensuring everything ran smoothly. But then my friend received a call instructing her to split and attend to a request on the other side of the park. She left, believing it was an order from our boss. I followed her, concerned for her safety. As I approached, I witnessed a horrifying sight. A creature leaped down from a tree, attacking my friend and dragging her into the pond. Desperation consumed me as I tried to intervene, but the creature's strength was overwhelming. It submerged into the water, leaving no trace behind. I knew my friend's fate was sealed. Frantic, I reached out to the dispatcher in the park, but my calls went unanswered. Using my watch, I contacted my boss, expressing my worry. He assured me that help was on the way. A rescue team was dispatched to locate my friend Bonnie, but their search yielded no results. The park had to be shut down, and the authorities were informed to ensure the safety of the public. The police acknowledged that something out of the ordinary had occurred, dragging Bonnie into the pond. Reviewing the footage, we discovered the eerie sounds she had mentioned. Despite this evidence, my boss dismissed her claims, chalking them up to insanity. But we knew she wasn't crazy. The weight of the tragedy settled upon us as we had to notify Bonnie's family of her untimely demise. It was the most heart-wrenching task I had ever faced. This Christmas, marred by sorrow and disbelief, was a reminder of the price we pay for dedicating our lives to protecting others. As I returned home, eager to share the events with my husband, he noticed the scratches on my arms and face. 
Without uttering a word, I broke down and revealed the truth that Bonnie was dead and everything had to be closed down. Confronting her family was an indescribable pain I had never known. This was the first Christmas I spent working, and I despised every moment of it. The things I witnessed and the loss I endured had etched themselves deep within my soul. The park, once a place of joy and wonder, now harbored darkness and an unsettling presence that could never be forgotten. In August of 2010, I had my very own sighting of something similar while working third shift patrol with another deputy for Dallas County Precinct, three constables office near Forney, Texas. At the time, I was stopped at the intersection of County Road 298 and Still Bridge Road, facing eastbound on CR 298, with my emergency lights activated. As I scanned the surroundings, I noticed something unusual moving northbound off to my left in a small wooded area. Initially, it appeared to be a large armadillo or some other rodent seeking shelter in the brush. However, it quickly became apparent that this creature was different. It was agile and swift, moving through the thick undergrowth with remarkable speed. Though it didn't seem overly large at first, it maintained a safe distance as it zigzagged between the trees steadily approaching me at approximately 15 miles an hour. What struck me most was its long mane and shaggy hair, reminiscent of a horse, but its movements were unlike anything I had ever witnessed. It seemed almost alien and robotic, walking upright on two legs, covering ground with long strides akin to someone running through tall grass pretending to be Tarzan. As the creature drew nearer, about 65 feet away from my location, I decided to step out of my vehicle. At that moment, I could hear dogs barking in the distance. Seemingly, at the same time, this creature emerged from the trees on the other side of Kerr 298. It locked eyes with me momentarily, its expression suggesting surprise or regret, before swiftly retreating into the brush, disappearing from sight. Estimating its height at around five feet and noting its slender build and thick hair, I remained at the scene for about fifteen minutes, half expecting it to reappear on the other side of the brush. However, it never did. Despite the proximity between us separated only by a ditch and several trees, I didn't sense any aggression directed towards me. If the creature harbored any ill intentions, it could have easily reached me. In that area, residents frequently report sightings of stray dogs and feral hogs, as people often discard unwanted pets into those woods. However, nobody seems to know the true identity of this enigmatic creature. Perhaps the abandoned pets serve as a food source for this mysterious entity. Furthermore, a third deputy also reported seeing tracks believed to be from the same creature in a similar location. Unfortunately, after several weeks of attempting to relocate the tracks, they were lost. It surprises me that this phenomenon is not more widely known, especially considering the number of reports made over the years by numerous individuals in the area. Some witnesses even claim to have heard blood-curdling screams resembling a woman being murdered, emanating from deep within those very woods. Despite thorough investigations, no evidence of violent deaths or missing persons matching these descriptions has ever been found. 
Official explanations for these events typically range from wild dogs and coyotes to escaped exotic pets like monkeys and lions. However, some locals entertain the possibility of an undiscovered species, such as a Sasquatch or an undocumented breed of primate. The only clue we have ever stumbled upon was a single set of prints, later identified as belonging to a man's work boot, likely dropped accidentally during his normal duties. It leaves us wondering if there truly is something out there, lurking right under our noses, waiting to be discovered. In 1995, my marine company woke up before sunrise at 29 Palm Springs. It was around 5.30 in the morning, and we were all gathered, sitting on our backpacks, awaiting orders. Suddenly, our attention was captured by five brilliant lights emerging from behind a hill roughly 200 feet away. These lights swiftly ascended into the sky without making a sound. Then they started moving in a serpentine manner for several minutes before vanishing from our sight in an instant. Everyone in the company witnessed this phenomenon, including our company commander. To our surprise, he called for a company formation in the dark night, which was quite unusual. Once we were assembled, he addressed us, saying, Listen, we all saw it, and we know what it was. Don't ever speak about this to anyone outside of this company while you're still enlisted. I'll handle it myself, so stay quiet and let's prepare for the patrol. The commander's reaction left us with a sense of intrigue and caution. It was clear that something out of the ordinary had occurred, and he wanted to keep it strictly within our ranks. We followed his instructions and kept the incident to ourselves. Our focus shifted to preparing for the patrol ahead, suppressing any lingering thoughts about the mysterious lights in the dark desert sky. Reflecting back on that experience, it remains a haunting memory, something that happened in the depths of the night, sparking curiosity and leaving us with unanswered questions. I had pitched the tent for the night and was in bed, not yet asleep, was hunting by myself. I heard some commotion outside and thought it to be elk. Next, there was debris being thrown at my tent, rocks not big enough to break through. The area was very rocky and was not a slide. I heard some movement above me. I was camped right about 70, five yards max from the canyon down into Valsets Valley. Anyway, I kind of just freaked out. It stopped and I went to sleep. The next morning, I looked around and found a few rocks laying around, nothing bigger than maybe a baseball. On October 21, 2015, my father fell out of a tree stand. He was not properly harnessed and fell as soon as he started to get down. He hit against several thick branches and broke two parts of his spine and an arm, collarbone, and nose. If his face had been facing slightly to the left, his nose bone would have been projected into his brain and he would be dead. It is a miracle that he survived, but he was far from help and was alone broken and bloody for hours. He manages to somehow drag himself far enough to the edge of the woods to call for help. He had to get two titanium rods put in his back and undergo several surgeries to ensure that he would be able to continue walking. 
It took over a year and a half for him to achieve any semblance of recovery. On October 21, 2017, he was in a tree stand again. This time, a defect in the stand caused it to collapse, and him, in his infinite wisdom, was again unharnessed. He was once again falling from a tree. He was lucky as the rods in his back prevented his spine from breaking again, and he was closer to the ground than last time. However, he did still break one of his knees and shatter half of his hip. This time he was able to call for help on a phone he had with him. He has been an addict all of his life and is now but a shell of his former self. An opiate abuser, there is truly no chance for him to recover. While he can walk, his posture is permanently hunched. He looks a hunchback. He moves like an 80-year-old man. He is 44. His pain is permanent and so that he cannot even function without the pills he abuses. These accidents have completely destroyed any semblance he could have if a normal life. I myself have never been interested in hunting, but I can say with confidence that he will never step foot in a tree, or perhaps a forest for that matter, ever again. My father saw his death and narrowly evaded it twice. Hunting is not a safe sport. It can be dangerous and in not too extreme cases fatal. Be careful. After Navy boot camp, I got put on hold and sent to the other side of the Great Lakes base where they were forced to open up, condemned or out of service barracks to stick me and six other Airedale buddies of mine in. We spent most of our time acting as first lieutenant or duty section leaders to prepare for the other Airedales that were to arrive from graduating boot camp divisions that would also be put on hold. The Pensacola base, which is where would wind up going for a school, got torn up during Hurricane Irene. In these barracks, there was four different wings, two which we had opened up and brought back to life for newly graduated sailors to live in, and the other two were empty. Every night during our midnight, six watch, we would see a light switch on a room in the empty wing, and every night we would investigate it. We opened the door, and no one would be in there, but there would be a Bible opened up to a specific page on the empty bunk rack, and it would just scare the shit out of us. I also remember hearing about all sorts of sailors committing S over the years on that base, as well as the enlisted club and base movie theater being haunted as F yet. I talked to an old hippie pot farmer who lives in the vicinity of Tequilma in extreme southern Oregon south of Grants Pass. He stated that it was common knowledge among his cohorts that there were many Bigfoot in the Red Buttocks and that they tended to be territorial and aggressive. He said that to enter the Red Buttocks was to risk confrontation with these creatures. You have to hike a long ways to enter this area. It's an area of deep valleys and high forested ridges and butts. Another report from the same general area concerns two forestry workers who had driven up a very remote road near the headwaters of the Smith River, which flows south into California to join the Klamath. They had pulled over and walked to the edge of an embankment. Looking down into the creek below, they saw a large group of big feet pulling salmon from the creek. They were noticed and two large males started up the embankment. 
They jumped into their truck, and as they sped away, saw the two males come over the embankment and onto the road. Also heard that of a couple of fellows in Grant's Pass who used to hunt illegally using salt licks. They stated that on several occasions they found large Bigfoot tracks around the licks and found that large chunks had been bitten out of the salt lick. Several years ago, shortly after I'd gotten into long-distance cycling, I decided to ride from Seattle out to Iron Horse Park for an overnight camping trip. I'm poodling along the gravel path through forest on a day unusually damp, gray and rainy for August, and get the creepiest, most unsettling feeling. I pick up my pace, looking carefully around at the impenetrable Pacific Northwest forest on either side, convinced I'm being stalked. If you've ever experienced these endless dark forests of Douglas fir, Sitka spruce, ferns, and moss, you know how dark, damp, and unsettling they can be. Luckily, the feeling passed after a bit, and I finished the rest of the adventure without issue. Got back that weekend and decided to look up via Google Maps just how deep in the woods I was when I got that horrible feeling. And discovered to my embarrassment it was a thin band of trees on either side of the trail just deep enough to block my views of massive cow pastures on either side. Last year around this time, June 28, 2021, my friend, we will call her Dana, my other friend, calling him John and I, all went on a camping trip. It was deep in the woods in Alberta, Canada. The trip was going good. It was in the middle of nowhere. No cell service, no bars, nothing. But we pained, listened to music, and all that jazz. One day, Dana and Jana were both sleeping in the tent. It was 2 p.m., and I was sitting alone outside. I start hearing this screaming, John, John, help me. John, where are you? And that repeated four times, the same way, same spacing. I'm not going to die in the woods, so I didn't check it out. I stayed where I sat. When the other two got up, I explained what I heard. Me and Dana went to the river that was close by, leaving Jana alone at the tent. We came back 40 minutes later, and Jana is setting his pants. He explained that he heard the exact same thing as me, including how the pauses were. I explained the pauses when I told them both about the screaming. A few months later, me and Jana went back there, but the two of us, on the last day, me and Jenna had this gut feeling that we were going to die if we stayed the last night. It was one of the gut feelings that you trust, and I know it wasn't anxiety. This feeling was literal terror, and we're going back there with Dana in a few days. First of all, let me start off by saying this is not a joke. This is a genuine sighting report. It was half past two in the morning, and it was completely silent. I was in the bathroom cleaning my teeth, getting ready for bed, when suddenly I heard the letterbox lift up and violently slam, as though someone had purposely done this to get my attention. Usually, when it is very windy, the letterbox will bang and clutter, but never this loud. Besides, it was completely calm outside with no wind at all, so I found it rather strange and quite perplexing that it had slammed like that. 
I quickly finished off and rinsed my mouth, placed my toothbrush down on the side, and then quickly went downstairs to look out the hallway window and see if there was anyone outside mucking around at this ungodly hour of the morning. At first I couldn't see anything, but when I looked along the hedgerow I saw what I first thought was someone large hunched over on the path. I moved the net curtain to get a better look and it moved slightly, becoming more visible within the streetlight and moonlight combined. Now this is going to sound really farcical and strange, but I could now clearly see that it was not a human. It looked just like a werewolf and had a long snout, like it was straight out of a Hollywood horror movie, which sent chills rushing through my spine. It turned its head and looked at me, the light causing its eyes to shine, reflecting some light. It was good that I had previously been to the bathroom before seeing this creature, or I would have needed a clean set of underpants. I bravely banged on the window pane, and it darted away, hunched over. After it ran down the road, setting off many security lights in the process, I promptly retreated away from the window, letting go of the net curtain, still in complete shock. I bucked up the courage to walk down the stairs and check the front door just to make sure it was still locked and secured, which fortunately, it still was. I then swiftly went back upstairs and went straight into my bedroom, where I sat down on the bed, still in disbelief at what I had witnessed. It scared me because it's not something you typically see. Had this werewolf creature seemingly slammed the letterbox to get my attention so that I would look out the window and see it and be terrified, which I actually was. After studying ufology and cryptid creatures for over two decades now, I can confidently state that they are just a generated construct within our reality. Yes, it is a real physical werewolf that is dangerous and could tear anyone limb from limb who was unfortunate enough to be outside and unwittingly run into this deadly savage beast. But it is a generated construct that has been placed there purposely by an unseen intelligence to cause fear and stifle my research by putting the frighteners on me. This is possible because we are living in a quantum simulation and therefore anything generated can be real to us. I have come to this conclusion because I have witnessed this phenomenon firsthand changing shape and form on many separate occasions. I have seen a mothman and a goatman, and I have photographed a hideous merman creature at Hope's Nose, Torquay. I've also seen a man with a lizard's head and many other strange anomalous things that people would find farcical and hard to believe. We are definitely living in a simulated reality controlled by invisible outside forces whose agenda is totally unknown to us. And these generated cryptid creatures can become a reality within our world at any time and seemingly at any place. This encounter took place at 2.30 in the early hours of the morning on the 1st of June, 2023 at Newton Abbott, Devon, England. All the best. In the hazy grip of a potent hive, my friend and I decided it would be a thrilling idea to sprint through the dense woods. Our senses heightened and hearts racing. We laughed uncontrollably, unaware of the danger lurking in the shadows. Suddenly, as if conjured from the foliage itself, a man clad in complete hunting gear materialized before us. 
his cold eyes locked onto ours, and with a commanding voice he uttered words that froze us in our tracks. You kids are in a hunting area. Get. Time seemed to stand still as we absorbed his chilling warning. The weight of the situation settled upon us, drowning out our intoxicated amusement. It was a wake-up call from the realm of darkness we had blindly ventured into. The hunter's stern demeanor and the menacing glint in his eyes left an indelible mark on our psyches. Not a hunter, but me and my friends were screwing around about a mile deep into the woods near my house, and we found a pink suitcase with a name tag on it. We looked the name up, and it was the name of a missing girl. Called the cops and handed it over, but they never found her. They searched all of the woods in the area after that, and still nothing came up other than her suitcase with some clothes and some toiletries. So me, my husband, my daughter, seven, and niece, eight, came camping this weekend. We've camped at this place four times, never had any issues. Last night, we were setting up and about to start making dinner. This was about 8 p.m. When my daughter looks at me, looks behind me, looks back at me. I said, what? She said, look behind you. There is a little kid, couldn't be more than six years old, just standing there watching my daughter and niece play with a soccer ball. I figured he was here camping, too, and just interested in what they were doing. My daughter invites him to play, and he runs back in the woods like he got scared. I didn't see him for about 15 minutes, so I figured he went back to his campsite. Then he comes back, and at this point, it's dark outside, so we asked where his parents were. He said he didn't have parents, so I'm like. Then my husband asked if he was camping here. He screamed at my husband. My parents are dead and homeless. I sleep in the woods. I said, okay, well, that's not safe at all, buddy. I'm going to call somebody to help you. He said, please call them. I don't have a family. So I start to call the non-emergency line. I gave him some food and a Gatorade and told him to hang out until help got here. Cops got there about 10 minutes later. They start trying to talk to him. He takes off running into the woods and yells that his brother will be back for us cops chased after him. No idea what happened after that, but I did not sleep a wink last night. It was the creepiest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. There's no houses within 10 miles of here. I'm so worried about him, but so creeped out about the brother thing. For the past three days, I've been hearing something screaming, help me, help me. Or help me. On and off, everything started the night after my fiancé saw something unexplainably creepy at the skate park near the woods while walking the dogs. We were walking our two dogs, and we planned to go down to the skate park to train the dogs some more in agility. The park is small, only consisting of about three medium ramps and one that barely reaches mid-shin on myself. The skate park is down in a sort of valley, and we have to go down some steps to get to it, and is surrounded by woods on all sides. As I was about to suggest going down, I noticed my fiancé stood still staring into the skate park while mid-panic attack, and the dogs were in front of them, staring on and off with the smaller one, fixated in pulling. 
They said someone's down there, but when I went to look, I didn't see anyone or anything down there, and it was dead quiet. No, there isn't. I looked, and I can't see anyone. No, seriously, there are people down there. Looks like a cult or something. They said half-joking and half-panicked. We need to go home. I was confused and thought it was their mind playing tricks because it was dark and still wanted to go down like something was inviting me. That's what it felt like in hindsight. In the moment, something was making me feel annoyed and frustrated at, at not being able to go down there. No, come on, there's no one down there. It's okay, we can go and run with the dogs. No, no, I want to go home. Seriously, please, can we just go home? They mentioned they heard a scream coming from the woods, but again I heard nothing, and the second time they heard it, they turned and walked off quickly, and I followed. For the rest of the night, they were really uneasy to the point I was worried for them. They were drawing what they saw, trying to make sense of it, while struggling to make much sense themselves. Talking about demons, nuns, deer, goat skull-headed man, etc. It creaked me the F out, and I asked to drop the topic, but I knew something wasn't right. The next day was okay, taking the dogs for a walk the usual amount, feeling better about the whole situation. Then I heard something. The first time I heard it, it was around 3 a.m., and I heard what sounded like a drunk or heavily injured man screaming for help. Nothing specific, just help me, help me, Hag, help me, and the occasional screaming. It circled our housing complex and got louder near the window right by our bed. I got up to look out of the window and I saw a figure. It looked like a man in a gray tracksuit with his hood up, and he was walking away from us about 200 meters, 300 meters, from our window, staggering drunk or injured, but seemingly unbothered, still screaming, help me. The thing is, the screaming was completely emotionless and uninterested. It stopped shortly after I saw the figure. The second time was around 8 a.m. the next day, the same emotionless screaming circling the house that lasted for about five minutes before cutting off mid-scream. I chalk it up to just some drunk kid wanting to scare people or cause a scene, or perhaps it was someone with mental health issues in an episode. I then heard it a few hours later as I left to walk the dogs coming from the forest that our front door overlooks. Still emotionless in the same words. Help me, help me. Aug, help me. There were two men by the road fixing up their bikes and people on their balconies smoking, but no one seemed to hear what I was hearing. So I carried on ignoring it. It didn't stop for the ten minutes I was out there letting the dogs pee and poo. And carried on even as I entered the house. It eventually stopped and some family came to visit. But when I walked out the house to get a drink from the shop, I heard it start up again. It started the second I opened the door and didn't stop, even as I was walking down the stairs to the shop, or as I came out of the shop and walked in the house. It carried on for about five minutes after I entered the house again, just repeatedly screaming, Help me, help me, please, and screaming. Now my brain is repeating it like tinnitus, the same thing, over and over again, while my head hurts more and more from the screaming. Help me, help me, please. Ah, oh, help me. The same order, just over and over and over and over and over again. I'm getting a migraine while typing this, because the screaming just won't stop.
and it's getting louder, and I don't know what it is or why it's happening or what could be doing it. I was on my horse rounding up some lambs in the scrub at the edge of my dad's property. It's hot as hell, and it was a quick job. So much have jumped in in thongs, flip-flops for the non-Aussies, and shorts. I am nearly done when I see one little bugger stuck in a fence, so I ride back to the edge and get down to get it out. As I got off the horse, I flicked up a stick and scratched my leg. I get the lamb out, it runs off to the others, and I go to get back on the horse. I feel a bit shit, but get on and ride back to the sheds where my dad was. I get there, jump off my horse, and look at my leg. Yep, two bloody marks where I got that stick. By this stage, I'm feeling really shit, and my leg is burning. I tell Dad who thinks I'm trying to get out if work, but says I better get to the hospital. We go in. I get swabbed, and it's a tiger snake bite. Get the anti-venom, spend a week in hospital, and ages on crutches. And just to top it off, while I was in hospital, my boyfriend broke up with me. So recently, I was in my backyard, garden in German, and my cat and dog started running towards the fence. You could only hear sticks cracking. However, my pretty tough cat ran inside. You should know he's taking on dogs bigger than him. My dog did the same, but then I was able to get a better glimpse at that thing. It was a dog-sized creature without any traces of fur black skin and kinda glowing orange eyes. Later that night, I stood at my rooftop window and saw the creature running across the street in twilight. Last night, I heard some pretty deep and creepy growls and howls out of the forest. I strongly believe it's some kind of cryptid, but I'm not sure. Do you guys know more about such a creature? So this event happened over the weekend while I was home from college for my mom's birthday. On Saturday night, I had a couple beers with my girlfriend who was spending the weekend at our house because my parents are super chill. At about 12.30 p.m., a few minutes after my parents went to bed, I went out to the back porch to grab a couple more beers for myself and my girlfriend who was waiting in the basement where we planned to watch Game of Thrones for a while before going to sleep. I opened the back door and stepped onto the back porch. Immediately, the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end, and I felt like was being watched from the tree line. My back porch overlooks the backyard, which leads directly into a thick woods. I thought nothing of it at first, because I always feels a little spooked going outside at night. But as I opened the cooler, I heard it. In my mind, it was unmistakable the agonizing screams of what sounded like my next-door neighbor and her teenage daughter. I won't say their names because Reddit creeps. What's even more terrifying is that I swear they were screaming a very specific thing. Sam, help us please, Sam, my name. Now I was drunk and already on edge to frankly, I turned around without the beers and locked the door behind me as I went back inside. Then I heard my mom's voice calling from upstairs, asking me if I'd heard it. I responded yes and asked if she knew what it was. She didn't have a clear answer, only speculation, but she knew for a fact that our neighbors were both inside their home.
I'm not a hunter, but I was hiking in a state park with a friend once about a half mile away from the trail, in five miles from the trail's start, and we found a woman's blouse, some jeans that were ripped from the zipper to the crotch, and a pair of underwear. It all looked super dirty, like it had been there for a really long time. It really freaked me out, especially because it wasn't the type of clothes you would wear for a couple-mile hike. We reported it to the ranger station, and they said they would check it out, but I don't know if they ever did. When I got home, I looked for any crimes in that area for the past couple years, but I couldn't find anything. I haven't been in the woods without a group since. The worst thing I ever saw was wild duck hunting on a secluded oxbow off a large river. These places are sometimes used by high schoolers to hook up. It wasn't uncommon or noteworthy to see a used condom at the remote boat ramp. It was a rough ramp, very little gravel, only used to get back in shallow flooded timber by duck hunters. One morning, I am taking a leak off to the side of this ramp and see a Polaroid, this was the 1990s, of a young boy naked. It was just of his groin. It is easily the worst thing I've ever seen hunting, just because of whatever backstory accompanies that photo. I still feel uneasy thinking about what sick of at that, what they were doing out there, etc. I was working at a hospital at the time and went to walk my dog at about 4.30 in the morning. As I was coming down the stairs, I happened to glance up and saw exactly what your friend saw in her backyard. For a split second, I noticed something just like that in the Predator movies. It moved towards the chain-link fence surrounding the front yard. I know what I saw, and I knew it. Knew I had seen it since I was going down the stairs. I didn't want to fall and had to look down, and when I looked back up, it was gone. I know within my soul what I saw, and it seemed a little amazed, startled that I saw it, although I got the strong sense it wasn't particularly friendly. The best way to say it was it seemed a little annoyed with me for actually seeing it like an adult would be if a child saw them doing something maybe they shouldn't have been doing. I continued to take my dog walking towards where I had seen it. I wasn't afraid because somehow I knew it wasn't there anymore. My dog didn't notice it at all. About the same time, maybe a few months later, I was walking out of work to take a break. The sun was just starting to rise. The sky went colors were light to dark blue, and I happened to glance over to see a large airplane moving across the sky, in its path leaving an orange trail of exhaust. I remember thinking how pretty the dark blue, light blue, and orange colors looked in the sky. That's when I noticed two UFOs by the plane. One was below it by the back end. The other was above it, almost in the middle, but more towards the back end. Again, I looked down for a split second, and when I looked up again, they were gone, and the plane moved out of my range of view. They were both shaped like a short stack-top hat. I was in awe that I saw this. The next one happened when I was sleeping one night. I remember waking terrified, never experienced any terror like I felt that night. I could not open my eyes at all. I know all about sleep terrors from reading about them, but don't believe this is what happened to me. I was panicking inside, full of horrible terror. 
and all of a sudden heard what I knew was two beings communicating with each other in their language, which sounded like clicking noises of different degrees. But I could also understand them telepathically and knew what they were saying. The one farther from me, who seemed like someone in a superior position to the one next to me, told it, She's awake. I got the sense it was a little startled that I was awake and aware of them. Then still terrified beyond words, I just knew I had to wake up. I still couldn't open my eyes, but was fully awake and aware. It was like being in two dimensions at once. I moved one arm against what I believed was their will to my other arm so I could scratch my other arm as hard as I could to wake myself up, but just couldn't. All this time I'm screaming in my head for my daughter in the next room to come out and help me. In my mind I'm screaming help, help me wake up. But I could hear myself quite clearly and was only moaning really loudly. Something told me to say the Lord's Prayer, which is about the only Bible verse I know, and I did. All of a sudden I felt a sense of the most blissful eternal peace you could ever imagine. No words can even describe that sense of peace that came over me like a blanket. In an instant, I was in a very deep sleep. I woke the next day holding on to that sense of peace for a few days. It was so intense, but at night, before going to sleep for the next few days, I slept with a knife under my pillow. I knew it couldn't have done anything to help me if they came back, but it gave me a little peace of mind. A few months later, I woke up again inside myself, but unable to open my eyes. Same situation, but this time I felt stronger and yelled, moaned really loud, and my daughter woke up and came out and started shaking me. It felt like I was pulled into my apartment. It hasn't happened again, thank God. The last happened when I was around eight. We lived in California. I was sitting in our living room playing with a new kitty, and across from the living room was our kitchen. I was the only one in the apartment at this time, when all of a sudden the kitchen light turned off and the kitchen door opened and closed, just like someone was leaving to go to the store for a minute. I was so scared I ran outside to stay with my sister's boyfriend. This apartment was supposedly haunted by a man who was stabbed and died in the living room, and nothing ever happened in the living room, only the hallway and kitchen. My mom's sister, her boyfriend, and two of their friends saw the face of a ghost in the hallway. Also at Christmas time, our tree stood right next to the hallway entrance and several times presents would fall over and ornaments would fly off the tree when no one was over in that area. I tried to look up and find any information on someone dying in that apartment but couldn't find anything. I've also noticed that I sometimes have weird things happen when I'm, I'm around electricity like lights being switched off and street lights will go off when I'm under them and held electronics will go a little haywire when I use them. I read something about this and found it interesting. It doesn't happen all the time, just occasionally. Well, I would like to thank you in advance if you were able to read this email. I know it's long, but even if you're not able to, it just felt perfect writing this down and sharing all this with you. Remember, if you use this, then please do not use the city I stated about in the ghost encounter or any identifying information about me.